You are listening to a podcast from Rocky Mountain Christian Ministries. For more information about our church, please visit us at rmcmchurch.org. All right, why don't you go ahead and open your Bibles again over to John chapter 5. We don't have a lot of time left, so we'll see what we can do here. John chapter 5. So if you haven't been with us, uh, we're a few weeks into a series. It's how we, how we do it, but all of the past teachings are available from our website through podcast or uh, YouTube video. Uh, so you can pick up on those. But we've been just going through, we're just going to be going through various passages uh, in the Gospels. We've been working in John chapter 5 for a few weeks, and we've laid a lot of groundwork. But um, we, we, one of the things we've brought out, and it's from John chapter 5, verse 16, it says, For this reason the Jews began to persecute Jesus and sought to kill him, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. So this was a point in his ministry where, he, was, he healed people on the Sabbath at one point. You'll remember some of these stories. His disciples were walking through some fields and plucked some heads of grain. And, you know, they weren't out with combines harvesting. They were just eating lunch. But anyway, there were a number of different things that took place. Jesus healed various people on the Sabbath. And uh, so the Jews, uh, the, the religious rulers of the day, began to oppose him strongly. They actually wanted to kill him. Because to them, that was blasphemy. He was breaking the Sabbath. And, and we learned that Jesus never broke the, the Sabbath, the commandment that the Lord had given. He did violate their traditions about the Sabbath, which shouldn't have been there in the first place. So we established all that in prior teachings. But when they made this accusation, they began to persecute Jesus, sought to kill him because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. Jesus, rather than back down, we looked at this last week, he came and he answered this accusation basically by doubling down on what he was saying and what he was doing. He came back and he, and we read this whole passage uh, and a bunch of, looked at a lot of things in John chapter 5, where he declares who he is and why he's here and what he's doing. And I'll just read through this list real quick uh, today because I, I want to move on to something else today. In verses 17 and 18, Jesus said that the Father has never stopped working. They're saying, you're violating the Sabbath because you're doing things on the Sabbath. And he comes back and says, you know what? The Father has never stopped working, and neither have I. Okay, so he's, he's dividing a line. He said, yeah, the Father took a break from the work of creation and established the idea of Sabbath, which I keep telling you we're going to study one of these Sundays, and we will. Uh, but... He never stopped blessing people. He never stopped working his covenant. He never stopped any of the things that Jesus is doing. God never stopped healing people. It wasn't like you couldn't get healed on, on Saturday, you know? And, and so uh, Jesus just came back at him and said, hey, the issue is the Father's never stopped working and neither have I. Verse 21, he said he has the power over death, which only God has. So in their hearts, in their minds, and it's true, he was saying, I am one with the Father in all these ways. Okay, verse 22, he said he has that authority to judge had been given to him. The authority for final judgment had been given to him. Well, everybody knew that only belonged to God. Verse 23, he said, I'm worthy to receive honor and worship. Well, in their minds, that broke the first commandment. You don't worship anybody but God. So he's saying, 
I am God. And I said to you last week, there are people out there in our society that say, you know, Jesus never claimed to be God. Yeah, he did over and over and over. He just didn't stand up the way we would do it and say, hey guys, I'm God. But he declared through his role, through his purpose, through who he was and what he claimed to be, he declared over and over that he was God. Verse 24, he said, righteousness and salvation are found in believing him, not in keeping the traditions of the elders. Okay, they're found in believing in him. Well, that was, that was another one. Verse 26, Jesus said he's self-existent. He doesn't depend on anybody for his life. Well, that's a trait that makes God God. And they absolutely heard him saying he was God. Verses 28 and 29, again, he asserts his authority to give final judgment. And he said the physically dead, we went through this last week, I won't go through it again. He, he spoke of those who were alive, but dead spiritually. And he spoke of the physically dead, being raised from the dead, okay? And then he proved that by raising people from the dead. So in all those ways, he declared who he was. So he made two statements that I want to look into for the time we have left today in all this passage, John chapter 5, verse 19, and John chapter 5, verse 30. And uh, so he, in this, he, he just absolutely, just unequivocally says, Everything I'm doing is what the Father God is doing. I'm doing the same things that God is doing. And he says here, and, and we'll just read it, John 5:19. This is from the New King James. He says, it says, Then Jesus answered and said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself. That's an amazing statement. But what he sees the Father do, or only what he sees the Father do. For whatever he does, the son also does in like manner. So it not only does what he sees the father doing, but he does it exactly the way he sees the father doing it. Okay, That is a huge key for us. And we're going to see that the Bible tells us we are to be imitators of God in Christ. We are to be conformed to his image. Jesus lived on this earth. During his time on this earth, he is the son of God, but he lived here under this title, son of man. And he is, we understand, he is the exact perfect representative of both the father, both God and man. And, but when he walked on this earth and his ministry, the way that he did his ministry on the earth, he did as the son of man, meaning he lived as a man on the earth in a physical body under the power of the Holy Spirit and under the authority of the Father. It says that he was tempted in every way like we are, but never sinned. Okay, he, that, And that whole thing of being the Son of Man, he, and they all knew that Son of Man was a term for the Messiah. Okay, So that was clear to them. As he claimed that, that was another problem <laughs> that he, when he'd call himself the Son of Man. But... He lived as a representative of what God actually designed us to be in the earth. The Lord, when he sat Adam and Eve in that garden, he said, take dominion, okay? Be my representatives in this earth. Multiply, start here, take dominion here, 
But then the point was to multiply that out over the whole earth and for us to be uh, God's representatives, God's authority in the earth, and to, but to be functioning right with him like we see Jesus did. So Jesus in this, in this idea is, is living out and is an example and a representation of what the Lord calls us to do. And as we live in this new covenant, we can be people filled with the Holy Spirit, submitted to the Father. None of us are Jesus. I didn't say we were Jesus. I know we're not Jesus, okay? Some of you are closer, but you know, none of us are there. But we are the church in the earth. We carry his authority. We carry his life. We carry his power. And we are to be representing God the Father. And we can do that outside of just trying to live in our own flesh. And, and that's what we see him doing. So at any rate, this, let's read John 5.30. And, and um, I'm going to read it from the Amplified Bible. I didn't have room for it up there, but I really like the way the Amplified reads here. So you can, if you don't have an Amplified there, you can just listen to this. In John 5.30, he says, I am able to do nothing from myself independently and of my own accord, but only as I am taught by God and as I get his orders. Now, let me just pause here. One of the, one of the things that Jesus brought out in, in that whole discourse that we talked about more than once, he brought out this issue of judging, that he was, he was called or the, the authority of, both, of final judgment was given to him. But in the scripture, there are a couple different words used in the New Testament about judgment, and one of them is about final judgment, deciding who has eternity with God and who doesn't, whose name is written in that Lamb's book of life, who has made Jesus the Lord of their life. That judgment, that final eternal judgment is reserved to the Son, period. Okay, That's not ours, never is ours, and that's the kind of judgment we are told to stay out of. But there's another word for judgment that is about discerning between good and evil. And we're going to look at that in just a second. That type of judgment, the, Lord, uh, the scripture actually tells us to be involved in that, that we should, by the Holy Spirit, be able to discern. We should know right and wrong. This whole idea, this whole thing that's thrown at us all the time from the world that, oh, well, you're, you're judging me. No, I'm, I'm not. I am discerning between good and evil, and you get to decide where you live in that. But I am not, I am actually called to be a representative of truth in this world, even if it hurts somebody's feelings. Okay, I'm supposed to do it in love. I'm not supposed to be a jerk about it. But I am supposed to stand for truth. The scripture says the church is the pillar and stay of church, of church, the pillar and stay of truth in the earth. Okay, so in this passage, and this is why Jesus comes out and he uses what he says here. He attributes to the idea of judgment, but it's applicable across the board. He, that he says, I'm not able to do anything of myself. That's an amazing statement. This is Jesus. I'm not able to do anything of myself independently of my own accord, but only as I'm taught by God, as I get his orders, even as I hear, I judge. Okay. So he doesn't just arbitrarily decide about judgment. He's focused on the Father. He hears what the Father says, and then he renders a judgment. He says, I decide as I am bidden to decide. As the voice comes to me, so I give a decision. 
Okay, remember what we just said. This is a pattern also for us of how we're supposed to live in union with the Father, saying the things that he says, declaring over situations what God has already said about that situation, not just spouting off everything that comes out of our flesh and our minds, and, and doing what we see the Father doing. We're supposed to be in, in intimate union with the Father. And you know, this whole thing, I always thought it was kind of silly because things like this I think are silly, but they're not. That's my problem. The what would Jesus do thing. You know, everybody had a little wristband there. What would Jesus do? Okay. Well, actually, that's true. We are supposed to be pausing in life when we run into a challenge or situation or an argument or whatever it is and saying, what would Jesus do? You do exactly what the Father did, but we don't get to stop there, okay? Because Jesus said, you don't have to have somebody between you and the Father. You just use my name and you have a connection with the Father, okay? I'm sending my spirit to reveal truth to you. So, so it is a good question when we run into something rather than, and I know you guys probably never do this, but you probably know some other Christian who at times just pours out of whatever comes to mind, whatever comes, you know, maybe they do it on a keyboard, but you probably know somebody and you can help them with this since you never do it. That is not the way we're supposed to live. And this is a great representation here. So let me try and finish this verse. He says, as the voice comes to me, then I give a decision. My judgment is right. It's just and righteous because I do not seek or consult my own will. There's some stuff there. I have no desire to do what's pleasing to myself. Wow. My own aim, my own purpose, but only the will and pleasure of the Father who sent me. We could spend like three weeks unpacking this verse. But this verse tells us something about the Trinity, and it tells us something about Jesus as the Son of Man. He says, I don't, I have no desire to consult my own will. I do not seek, my, my judgment is right because I don't seek my own will. I don't look to do just what I want to do. That tells me he could have done that, okay? Jesus had a will of his own, but he lived in a perfect submission to the Father because otherwise he wouldn't be talking about consulting, he says, my own will. He obviously had a will, okay? He could choose what he wanted to choose, just like you and I, but what he chose was to live in submission to the will of the Father, to do what he saw the Father doing, to say what he heard the Father saying, to, to declare in a situation what the Father was saying. Does that make sense to you? All right, so again, this word judge, he says, my judgment is righteous. He says, even as I hear, I judge. What does that mean? This word for judge means to discern or discriminate between good and evil, right and wrong. To discern or discriminate between good and evil and right and wrong. He's saying, when I discriminate between good and evil and right and wrong, it's correct, it's, it's righteous, it's pure, it's holy. Why? Because I don't seek my own will. I only seek the will and pleasure of the Father. Does that make sense to you? All right. 
this, um, this word for judge means to be able to discern between what lines up with God's nature and will and what does not. Okay, this is about discerning. It means to discern in one's mind what is good, proper, and expedient. To discern in one's mind what is good, proper, and expedient. You know, Paul said, I have the freedom in Christ to do lots of things, but not all of them are expedient. They're not all profitable. They're not all good. There are things that we can do. We have freedom. It's not, it's not a matter of sin. It's not a matter... Uh, we, we, can, we can do certain things in life, but sometimes, even though it's not sin, it's the wrong thing to do. It either causes somebody else to sin. It is, for whatever reason, it's the wrong thing to do. This kind of judgment, and we are called to this kind of judgment, says, this is, this, you know, it, it starts out with good and evil, We have the ability by the Holy Spirit in us to discern between good and evil, and we should. Right and wrong, okay? And also, what's good here? What is profitable? What is the will and pleasure of the Father in this situation? Okay, so Jesus says all of this, and, and it... Again, it speaks to us about how we're supposed to live. Let me just give you a couple of verses. Romans 8.29 says, For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. All right? Uh, Ephesians 5, uh, verse 1, which we we'll probably won't get to today. I think I have my notes somewhere here, but... Uh, says we are to be imitators of God as dear children. All right, so as dear children, we are to, that word is the word, that Greek word is where we get the word mimic, okay? We are supposed to act like God. We are supposed to speak like God. We are supposed to do all of that as dear children. I don't know, well, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself. Let me see if we can get through some more of this. So, so here's another thing that we can learn from this. We're, we're talking about living in a way that we are in pursuit of knowing and conforming to the will of God. Is that clear? Is that, that's what we're talking about. All right. We see that Jesus did that by hearing what the Father was saying, seeing what the Father was doing. That speaks of our intimacy with the Lord, about what the Word does in our lives. Okay. And hopefully we'll get to some of that. But Jesus also said, and this is in John 7, you can turn there if you want to, or just listen. Actually, I'm going to read it from the Passion Translation here. John chapter 7, verses 15 through 17. Here's just another, another way this comes through. The Jewish leaders were astonished by what he taught and said, how did this man acquire such knowledge? He wasn't trained in our schools. Who taught him? We don't get this guy. How does he have this revelation, how does he have this authority? He didn't go to our schools, you know? So it's this human viewpoint of it. Jesus said this, he, he said, I don't teach my own ideas, but the truth revealed to me by the one who sent me. So he said, my teaching comes from the Father. This also did not make people less mad at him, okay? 
My teaching comes from the Father. Okay, and, and we get that, knowing, you know, knowing the Lord and knowing who he is. We get that. He, he had revelation from the Father. And that's what he taught. He didn't just teach his opinions or ideas or the culturally popular thing or whatever. He taught revelation that was given to him by the one who sent me. And then he says, if you want to test my teachings and discover where I received them first, be passionate to do the will of God. Then you'll be able to discern if my teachings are from the heart of God or from my own opinions. So essentially he's saying there, if we will approach the word of God with a heart to do the word of God, to ingest the word of God and let it produce different fruit through us. If we, if we approach the word saying, I want to know what pleases you. I want to know what your will is. Please show it to me. Okay? We approach the word from that angle. We receive revelation from the Father. And, we, and we, the word comes alive to us. When we approach the word just to affirm or confirm what we want to be true or what we want to do or, you know, what we want to be okay in our lives, when we approach it that way, we're on a direct line into deception. It makes a difference how we approach the word. Do we approach with a submitted heart? Are we willing, if the Lord holds something up and says, I need this to change in your life. I need to remove this from your life. Or this is sin. I need you to get out of it because it's going to kill you. Or I need to add this to your life. I'm equipping you for this and I'm calling you to this. What, whatever it is, if we approach that from the, from the point of view of, God, whatever pleases you, that's what I want to get. We will start to get revelation after revelation out of the word of God. We will, it won't just be Bible knowledge. It won't just be a group of notes. It won't be bullet points. It'll be life to us. It'll be health to us. It'll be the direction that we need for our lives, okay? And, and this is one of the roles of the Holy Spirit in our life is to lead us and guide us into all the truth. That's what Jesus said. He is there to bring up revelation in us. But Jesus accurately conveyed the heart and will and purpose of the Father in every situation because he did not consult his own will, okay? And he wasn't moved, as we can tell from everything we've been looking at, he was not moved by people's criticism. He didn't back down. He also wasn't moved by people's applause. He, he, he was moved by the Father. Remember, he, uh, remember, and I might have talked to you about this last week, I don't remember, but, but do you remember that uh, over in the book of Mark, early in the, early in the couple, first couple chapters, he heals a bunch of people at Peter's house, and then he goes off to pray overnight, and everybody comes to Peter's house, and Peter came and found him and said, everybody's at my house. They want you to come back. You need to come. There's all this need. It's right there. It's before him. There's all this need. People need to be healed. Jesus, having spent the night in prayer, says, uh, we're supposed to go somewhere else and bring the good news to other places. Why did he do that? Because that's what he heard during the night. He wasn't moved just by needs. He wasn't, he stood there, there was a, a kid that was demon-possessed, and, I, you know, the disciples had, try and, had tried to get him free, and nobody could get him free. And anyway, Jesus came down, and, and, he, and he stood there, and 
this demon manifested in the kid and threw him, you know, the father said he throws him into fire, he throws him into water. I mean, he's tried to kill him. And, and this kid falls down on the ground and starts manifesting this demon. Jesus doesn't respond to the manifestation, which I just think is so fascinating. He stands there. These kinds of things used to freak me out, but then I feel like the Lord showed me. He stood there and had a conversation with the father. How long has he been like that? He was not freaked out by the manifestation. He, was, he did set the kid free, but he didn't just respond to what the devil was doing. A lot of our prayer lives are more driven by what the devil's doing than what the father's saying to us, and that should not be so. All right? Yeah, there's lots of evil in the world. There's lots of things going on, and, and we're aware of it. We're supposed to be aware of his devices, but we are supposed to minister out of what the Father is showing us and what he is doing. That's where the life is. That's where the power to get people free is. When we're just getting, you know, the devil can run people around in their prayer lives like crazy by just, oh, I see this over here and I see that over there and I watch the news and now I got to pray for that. Okay, if the Father's saying to do that. But the point here is we are not supposed to just be living according to our desires, our will, you know, what seems right to us at the moment. And we can only live in the will of God to the extent that our will is conformed to his. Our, and, and the Bible talks about that, that as we, as we work with him, as our minds are renewed, you know, we're not going to make it there this morning, but Romans chapter 12 talks to us about having our minds renewed by the word of God. We, the Lord changes the way that we think, the way that we believe, the values that we have, all of that. And we live differently out of that. Okay? That's where our, our heart, our will, our desires, our soul is being conformed to the image of Christ. Okay? That requires us to have a relationship with the Lord and a relationship with his Word, because it really is the Word and the power of the Holy Spirit that produces uh, all of that in us. So I mentioned this to you earlier, Ephesians chapter 1, uh, or I'm sorry, chapter 5, verse 1, says, be imitators of God, therefore as dearly loved children. And I, and I just, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this this morning, I just want to say, this is all good and fine to say, but we're only going to yield our will to God to the extent that we trust him. And that's why this says, as dearly loved children. Okay? If you're struggling with trusting the Lord, it's very important to let the Lord reveal himself in, in how much he loves you, how much uh, it, it's good to go into the scripture and look at what Jesus did for us while we were still sinners. Okay, before we ever came to him, before we'd ever made that decision for him in our lives, he laid down his life for us. He acted out the love of God for us. We need to see ourselves as we see ourselves as dearly loved children. Then we can yield our will over to him. So it's a good thing to let him speak those things to you from the scripture. If, if you start to read through some of those verses that talk about how much you're loved and, and how much God cares for you and what comes up in you is this sense that I don't deserve that. I'm not worthy of that. I'm not, hey, nobody is. It's a gift. God's love toward us, 
doesn't change. It never has moved. It never has shifted. But Jesus paid for our sins so that we can have this incredible relationship with the Father. And it's only when we have that and get settled in that that we're able to say, okay, I trust that your plan is the best one, not only for (laughs) eternal things, things of the Spirit, things of the kingdom, but for me too. You have the best thoughts and the best plan for my life. And so I am able to yield myself to what your word says. I'm able to turn myself over into your hands because I trust that your plan for my life is the very best plan that there is for my life. I've got a lot of things to say about that, but I need to wrap this up. So I want to um, I want to go back to this and just bring you into a couple more verses here. So, so again, Jesus only said what he heard the Father saying. He only did what he saw the Father doing. So we need to ask, how do we hear him and see him? Well, we hear him through his written word. He speaks to us through the written word. He speaks to us by the Holy Spirit. He speaks to us by impressions on the inside that come from the Spirit of God that agree with his nature and his word. He speaks to us uh, through teaching. He speaks to us by the, the voice of the Holy Spirit on the inside of us. He speaks to us through prophecy. He speaks to us through visions, through dreams, through a lot of different things. And all of those different ways need to line up with the written word and the nature of God as we see it in Jesus. That's how we can know that we're not just off on some weird tangent, but God does speak to us. He said, my sheep hear my voice. All right, we're his sheep. We are created to hear his voice. So, so we need to have some confidence in that. And I just felt impressed, and so I'm just going to go through this. We'll wrap this up today. That, that I just felt impressed for today that to talk to you just for a minute about the word itself, the written word under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in your life, your relationship with the word of God. And the word has got to become something that we do, that we conform to, not just something we know. The word of God is a living force. It is a living, it, is, it carries the life of God into our hearts. The Bible describes it as seed, it describes it as bread. It is something, it's not just something, we don't just live a hear and obey life. We don't just live a, I heard it, now I'm gonna figure out how to do it in my own strength. We, that's, that's works, okay? We live a, I receive the word into my heart. I ingest the word. I let the Holy Spirit incubate the word and let it put down roots and let it put whatever, make whatever changes it's going to make. And over time, it changes the way I believe. It changes my values. It changes my feelings. It changes uh, my actions. But it's an outgrowth of that word. And James talked about this in chapter 1, verses 21 22. You still with me? There's at least four, and I'm good with that. Uh, So he said, so get rid of all uncleanness and the rampant outgrowth of wickedness. All right, so we're we're supposed to trash the stuff that we, we know is against what God has for us. And in a humble, gentle, modest spirit, we could say teachable spirit, receive and welcome the word which implanted and rooted in your hearts. There's a life process. 
the word gets implanted. It's not just hear and obey. It's not just a rule. It's not just a regulation. It's not even just a life manual. It is alive and it gets planted and then rooted. All of that takes time, okay? In our hearts, it contains the power to save your souls, meaning to transform the mind, the emotions, and the will. But be doers of the word, not merely listeners to it, betraying yourselves into deception by reasoning contrary to the truth. I just, that is such a powerful, I am down in verse 25, he said, it's a doer of the word that is blessed or walks in the blessing of God. I'm just going to wrap it up with this. I've got a whole bunch more, but I'm just going to wrap it up with this. That verse talks to us about how we approach that word. We want to see what God's doing. We want to hear what he's saying. And, and when we approach the word and something stands up out of the word, or maybe you're hearing teaching or whatever, but that something stands up out of that word and you know that's God impressing you with something, all right? We can either welcome that word, even if it means big change, even if it means, you know, uh-oh, I don't know how to do this in my life. I don't know how to make this change. I've been like this. My family was like this, whatever. It, it, it doesn't matter. We can welcome that word as seed into our lives. Come with a yielded heart and welcome that word into our lives or we can start to justify our behavior. And that's what it means. It says that when we do that, when we start to argue with the word, either, and I've had both, I've had, I've had people tell me, well, you know, I, but, well, but, you know, or we go to God and well, but this, well, but that, you know, and, and just start arguing with the word. Or I've had people just say, yeah, I see that in the Bible. I don't want to do that. I don't want to go there. I don't want to do that. Well, I don't know why you're asking me for help because <laughs> this is the help, you know. I mean, I'll pray for you, but, you know, uh, and just sort of reject the seed. Well, then that seed's not going to be able to reproduce itself in and through your life. And so instead, you know, that's, that's the Bible says you're betraying yourself. You're, you're, you know, when we betray somebody, we go behind their back and we expose something or we do something bad in their lives you're doing that to yourself when you won't say yes to the word of god and and so i i have a whole list of scriptures i don't have time to give them to you this morning but i mean you can dig into your bibles and just see everything that it says i mean beginning to end the bible tells us that the word of god is alive it's powerful it's a lamp to our feet and a light down the road it's firmly established in heaven and will never change. It's alive and active. It goes right into our heart and exposes things and sifts things. I mean, it's so powerful and it's so good. It's the bread of life. We can't, Jesus said, you can't live by bread alone, natural bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. It's there for our good. And so, you know, we're talking about Leaning into the will of God for our life, well, the place to start is in the Word. The place to start, if you haven't done it, is make Jesus the Lord of your life. You know, I mean, clearly, that's an important step in all of this. He, he, uh, scripture says he, he came, he took our sins upon him, he died for our sins, he was buried, he was raised on the third day. And it says, if we will believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead and confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord... Okay, not just Savior, but Lord, we'll be saved. We will begin to live life. We'll be born again. We'll begin to live life with him. 
And that is, that's a very simple doorway into eternal life. It's also a very profound doorway and needs to be taken seriously. So if you're in here today or somebody's out there, that's a prayer. I'm not going to call anybody up today. I, I just... That's a prayer to pray as, as, Lord, I believe, Jesus, I believe you died for my sins. I believe God raised you from the dead and you are Lord. And I invite you into my life and I ask you to come in and take my life and let's start walking it together, okay? If you do that and you mean it, you'll be born again. And then one of the things that happens is the word comes alive. I remember that so clearly. The Bible just came to life when I gave my life to Jesus. So then it's letting that word come in and take root and produce and change your life. All right. Why don't you stand up and let's pray together this morning. Did you get anything out of this? Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Father, my, my prayer, and I, I hope this is all of our prayer, Lord, we want our lives, our will, our thoughts, our feelings conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. And we know from your word that for every one of us, that is a process. And you are so good at starting with us right where we are today and leading us along that road and producing in us what you want to produce in us. But this morning we say in Jesus' name, Lord, we submit ourselves to you. We yield ourselves to your word. Whatever your word is speaking to us, we choose to receive. We choose to allow that word to be anchored in our hearts. And we ask you, Holy Spirit, come and incubate that word and bring it alive in us. Lord, we look for transformation. Father, we want to go out into the world with life we don't want to go out into the world with criticism. We don't want to go out into the world, Lord, bringing law. We want to bring the spirit of life to the people around us. And so we ask you to give us those opportunities. We believe you bring up from within us the things you want us to share with other people this week, the opportunities to pray for other people. Father, we give all that over to you. And we thank you for what you are doing and will do in this community, in this time, in this age through your church in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. So we are going to be dismissed. There are a bunch of really, bunch of goodies out there, a bunch of stuff. Just encourage everybody to stay around a while, fellowship, get to know some new friends or old friends or some kind of friends. And, uh, and for those of you that want to be involved in uh, the flower outreach, be back in here in about 10 minutes or so. Is that okay? Yeah, sounds good. We'll yell at you. We always do. All right, so let's say it on the count of three. Let's say Jesus is Lord over the Gunnison Basin and the world, and then we'll be dismissed. One, two, three. Jesus is Lord over the Gunnison Basin and the world. Amen. Go out there and be the church. Thank you for listening to this message from Rocky Mountain Christian Ministries in Gunnison, Colorado. We hope you will visit us at rmcmchurch.org, like our Facebook page, or subscribe to our messages on YouTube.